Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's Business of Design podcast time. This is episode number 11, and we're going to be talking about private label branding. I got to tell you, I was kind of a skeptic about this topic. I thought it seemed like an exercise in vanity. I didn't really understand what it might do for me and my business. But uh, having spoken with Jane Lockhart, I'm telling you, I came away convinced that this is something at least worth considering. Uh, Before I jump into that, I do want to talk a little bit about something that's happened several times this week, and it has to do with the company Wayfair. It seems like I can't look anywhere without seeing this company's advertisement or without hearing someone in the industry or reading on Facebook someone in the industry ask about how they can use Wayfair or or rant about why none of us should use it at all. So I thought I might share my experience, which is quite limited, by the way, so I don't put myself out there as an expert on the subject of Wayfair, but this is my experience. The first time they came on my radar, I was at a conference in Las Vegas, and I was one of the speakers, and they were a sponsor, which is a great thing. I think, you know, thank you to anyone who sponsors events in the interior design industry. We all love that. I noticed uh, at that time, that they were a warehouse, more or less, for a variety of different brands, which I deemed, and this is me, again, just me and my opinion, to be lower-end brands. So I didn't think they concerned me too much. However, I saw that there might be an advantage of shopping through them, uh, as it's one-stop shopping, and we all love that. Plus, for the solo entrepreneur, it's kind of wonderful to be welcomed into a larger company like that. You don't have to worry about purchasing with minimums or any of the kind of snobbery that goes on as you approach a showroom for the first time, not having a big team behind you. So I understood the merit of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Now, fast forward a few months after that, and I happened to catch an ad on television, and I have to say my jaw dropped and hit the floor loudly. It was an ad that featured a number of young girls who were probably seven, eight, nine years old, something like that. And they were all dressed up like mummies wearing fancy flowered dresses and white gloves. And they were having a tea party. And one of the little girls uh, acting as a mummy in her pumps, et cetera, and pearls says to the other one, wow, I love what you've done to this place. And the other little girl who's pretending to be a mommy says, oh, it was so easy. A few clicks of buttons and Wayfair.com and you're done kind of thing. And I'm probably not doing the commercial justice, uh, but... I couldn't believe that the same company that was sponsoring an interior design event would then turn around and sponsor this event, which so clearly made it seem like all we do is click a few buttons and voila, you know, any kid could do what we do, basically. I want to be clear that I don't mind that a company takes the approach that decorating is easy and anyone can do it. If that's your sales strategy, go for it. What I mind is them trying to play both sides of the equation. In other words, designers come to us and we're going to make your life easier and consumers skip the designers altogether because basically they're useless. Any kid could do what they do. So that's where I really took issue with Wayfair and I thought I don't begrudge anybody trying to make a living in this industry. It's not easy. It's difficult. But for me, that was kind of a line in the sand that I wasn't willing to cross. Now, recently, this week, in fact, this has come up again because a lot of people have noticed that Wayfair has now included a lot of higher-end brands in their offerings they're beginning to step into the snack bracket that I like to work in. I like to work in an upper middle class kind of higher end bracket of client, even a luxury client. And that has me thinking that Wayfair is entitled to step into that market. There may be some designers who want to work with them because it's easier. You can go to them for all of your shopping needs and you can become an important customer through them. And that's terrific if that works for you. That's awesome. For me, I don't think that's going to be the way that I'm going to go. 
uh, personally, but this is the point I actually want to make. Don't worry about what they're doing. It really doesn't impact you. There's always going to be a client who wants to skip the designer, who thinks that doing what we do is as easy as pushing a few buttons and voila. There's always going to be that consumer and Godspeed. There should be. By all means, you can do it yourself. You can do your taxes yourself. You can clean your teeth yourself. There's lots of things you can do yourself or you could choose to go to a professional. My clients consist of those people who have chosen to turn these big projects and tasks and even small projects and small decorating projects over to someone who has more expertise in handling them. Yes, I have a good eye. Yes, I'll do the shopping, but it's so much more than that. And this got me thinking, and here's where you come in, about a new course I'm going to film in June of this year, and it has to do with owning your value really understanding that what you do for a living is not glorified shopping. Uh, What you do saves consumers time and money, and there's value in it, and there's a client for you who's not going to be lured by the promise of easy online shopping. I hope you don't mind me indulging myself. I'd love your thoughts. By all means, if you have a different point of view, would love to hear it. I'm definitely open to being swayed on this topic, but I just wanted to get y'all thinking about it at least. Now you've heard my rant for the week about Wayfair and frankly, any other site that simultaneously wants the design industry to love it while wooing the consumer and trying to work around us. Godspeed, let them do their thing. We in turn can stay focused on making sure our business model is working efficiently and effectively and generating the kind of clients we want to work with, the kinds of profits we desire and the kind of profits that will fund the lifestyle we crave. All of that is served by expanding our individual brands. To that end, I am thrilled to introduce you to an award-winning interior designer, television personality, spokesperson, and author, Jane Lockhart. Jane is a leading expert in the world of design and color. She is immediately recognized across uh, North America as the host and creative director of her own series, Color Confidential, which aired on HGTV in the U.S. and W Network in Canada. She makes a ton of guest appearances on all kinds of television shows and is a keynote speaker uh, throughout North America. She graduated from Ryerson's Interior Design Program, which is quite prestigious in Canada, and she has never stopped building her brand. She founded Jane Lockhart Interior Design in 1997. She designs new builds and renovates projects for retail, hospitality, residential, And she loves what she does. And that, I think, is important to all of us as we listen to her, that we know that we're talking to somebody who's an expert in the industry, who's got skin in the game, who's working in the industry every single day. That really has my ears open for sure. Now, one of the things Jane has launched is Jane Lockhart Platinum, which is a Canadian-built, eco-conscious luxury furniture collection, and it's created specifically for design and architectural trades. And she's got another collection, Jane by Jane Lockhart. Both of these collections get added to every single year, and we'll talk about them during the podcast. All that to say, this woman has a ton of experience when it comes to expanding your brand. And in this episode, we're going to focus on private label branding and how that can move us toward greater brand recognition and what that means to us in the long run. By the time I finish reading your bio, there is no time for the podcast. I'm sorry, we're all out of time, Jane. How are you? Very well. Nice to talk to you. Thanks oh, you're so nice for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know what your life is like, and I really appreciate you being here. And this topic has me wondering all mm-hmm. about private label furniture design. It's something I started hearing about at High Point a few years ago. It's become quite a big buzz, and I'm not really sure I understand it. So can you start me at the beginning? What is private label? What does that even mean? 
private label generally applies to anyone in the industry. It doesn't have to be necessarily the design industry where um, you put on the label that is your company's label, but someone else makes the product for you. So you take ownership of that brand and you, the consumer doesn't know where that came from. Okay, so what's the advantage of that? Why why would I bother doing that? Why does it matter that it's Kimberly Seldon's sofa and not Joe Smith's sofa? So in the design business, the advantage to this is about building a brand for designers. For many designers, they either work in small groups or they work on their own and they pass off their brand to someone else's brand who maybe makes the furniture or um, the carpet, whatever it is. The advantage of being private label and really being a designer who does private label is it strengthens your brand to the consumer. And the stronger your brand is, the more you can charge the consumer because you have more presence in the marketplace. Oh, okay. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. So by having my name on the sofa, the, the client's impression of the work that I do is suddenly bigger. It's an extension of my brand. Um, and it gives you cred. You okay. know, it basically gives you street cred to say that you know what you're doing and you don't have to just shop for a living. You are designing as well, which people often confuse our business with being glorified shoppers. Yes. Yeah. Or um, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, you're an interior designer. How fun. Exactly. (laughs) You're so so lucky. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) So what we're saying is, hey, let's not hand this this part of the business over to a retailer. In some cases you might want to, and there are certain clients that feel more comfortable in retail and they like to shop retail, or you may want them to shop retail because they're not the kind of client that you want to necessarily work with on this level. But for good projects where you want the opportunity to either do the whole thing or to control how the project looks in the end and control price point, then what you want to consider doing is private label on all pieces of upholstered furniture. Now, and that can, of course, extend to wood pieces as well. But for us, we're talking upholstered today. Okay, that's really exciting to me. But my next question is, how the heck am I going to find someone to manufacture furniture for me? Doesn't that just, um, how how is that different than just going uh, to a regular custom workroom? So right now in the marketplace, when most people think of private label, they think of celebrity private labels. So they would think of Cindy Crawford, for instance, who puts her name on a line of furniture. Yes, I would like to talk to Cindy about that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you could. the, the problem is with that is it, it devalues so much of the furniture industry because the understanding, and that's not her necessarily, but the consumer assumes that maybe she had something to do with it. I highly doubt it, right. um, but I don't know that for sure. We're cynical. But, <laughs> yes, I know. I am a little bitter maybe, but no, I'm joking. What I'm saying is what you want to try to do is if you put your name on it and you private label, meaning you put your label on the piece, it really shows that you have done that work. Now, what makes it challenging, and you ask me, how do I find a place to do private label? You can go to an independent workroom, um, an upholsterer or furniture maker, and do that. However, what our business does here, we, we've created a pod called J Studio. And the idea here is, first of all, all the pieces start with the name J. That's where the name came from. And the idea is that a designer can select from any number of manufacturers that are all under one roof, which offer different expertise. Some are price point driven. Some are um, more uh, customized. Some are time driven. And the designer can choose which one of those that they want and alter those pieces based on what it is that they need. So that gives them all levels of of service for their customer, depending on what part of the job they're doing. Okay. So unlike if I'm going to go to a custom furniture house, I know my guy that I'm going to go to if I need a super high end piece of furniture, but I don't necessarily have a person to go to if I need a more well-priced piece of furniture. So what you're saying is I could bring my need for every different price point to one place, uh, which is J studio and make selections and you'd be my point of contact. That's correct. So that's what we do is we service the designer by allowing them to choose anything they want, any color, any style, any detail, and then add their own label to it. And we support them in doing that. 
Oh, I love that. And I also really appreciate being able to work with another interior designer because I know how detail-oriented you're going to be, and I know you understand the pressure I'm under when I'm working with clients. So that's comforting because sometimes when I go to a regular vendor, they don't really know what it's like to do our job. You're absolutely right, Kimberly. So because it's been over 25 years that we've been building furniture, and the first time out, we had a terrible time with it because what the picture we gave, it didn't turn out that way, wasn't what we asked for. But once it's built, it's pretty hard to go back and fix it. It's at our expense. So after basically 20 years of call, you know, calling all of these different manufacturers, what we've done is put them together to find the guys that we know understand what the design industry is looking for, which is very different than what the retail businesses are looking for. They are two completely different streams. That doesn't mean consumers don't obviously shop at retail or look at pictures, but it's really incumbent on the designer today to offer more than what retail offers because that's part of their brand or their equity. Well, and retail, in, to a degree, is disappearing, uh, you know, more so in uh, Canada, I would say, than in the United States just yet. Um, big markets like Los Angeles and New York still have a lot of variety, but smaller centers um, are losing a lot of their retail suppliers because of online shopping, et cetera. And unfortunately for the designer, that makes our life much, much harder. So I like what you're saying. I like where you're headed with this. I like also that this could be a way to build the extension of my brand because at the end of the day, when a friend comes over and said, where did you get, where did you get the sofa? And they're flipping it over to get a tag. The tag that's going to show up is my name rather that's than right. right a company in North Carolina. So that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. And it's pretty tough for designers today. I have to say the the difficulty is how do you charge for every hour of work that you put in, whether you're a decorator or a designer, no client recognizes how much time it takes to do anything. So the ability, as you say, to extend your brand gives you an opportunity to be act as the agent for that client, which gives you the opportunity then to to deal in this side with them to help them understand what to select. Okay. And you and I, as you said, have been around for a little while. We've seen how the industry has changed. When I graduated from design school in 1991, um, it really was like being at the buffet when all the fresh seafood came out. And mm-hmm. today it's a little bit more lean at the buffet, I would say. And there's competition uh, from a variety of places, for example, Wayfair, Direct Buy. Um, what do you think about those new additions to the interior design market? I think they are realistically the direction things are going to go on a mass level. But I think this is where designers have to be proactive as a group, meaning they have to support each other. And at the same time, help the consumer recognize the difference between picking a sofa themselves and or a piece of furniture, whatever it is, and what a designer brings to the mix, which is going to be different than them going online and ordering a piece off of Wayfair. That said, it's helping the consumer understand that it's not about the individual piece. It's about how all those pieces go together within a space that makes it special. And it's driving home that if they're going to spend this kind of money, they want something that's better than just what you can get online. Mm-hmm. A lot of designers seem to be, um, in my opinion, kind of overly concerned with clients shopping them. Um, that doesn't worry me too much because, you know, sometimes the client will say, oh, I went online and I found this fabric and it's less expensive than what you're selling it for. I can always come back and say, well, it's probably a second. There's probably a color issue. There might be a slub in the fabric that's made it... Um, you know, in some way less desirable, et cetera. And I can't guarantee where it's coming from, et cetera. So if you want to order it through me, I'm going to go through this recognized channel. If you want to try to save a few bucks, you're going to go through this back channel and I'm not going to guarantee it's going to be usable at the end of the day. So mostly I can kind of talk them out of it. But with the private label furniture you're talking about, that really gives me an advantage in terms of clients being able to shop me, doesn't it? Absolutely. And you can customize that piece to represent either the client themselves directly 
or to represent your brand directly. Let's say your brand, you always add black feet. I don't know, to every piece of furniture you ever do, it, whatever it is, you can do something that personalizes it so that people recognize, oh, that's your style. So whether you do it with us or you find a custom home, a uh, custom uh, manufacturer elsewhere in your market, the whole point is to find someone that recognizes that they need to help you do your business. And that's what we're suggesting is any of these manufacturers are going to depend more and more on designers as basically outsized sales reps for them that deal in the higher end or the better client. So their job is to respond to you coming and saying, look, I want private label. I want to do this. I guarantee I'm going to probably buy four or five sofas, whatever it is. You need to give me a better price on them. Mm -hmm. And then that allows you to be more competitive with your client and help them if you want. Depends what your model is for how you sell pieces of furniture or whatever you do. Um, it, it gives you an opportunity to be more competitive in the marketplace. I know you're familiar with Habitat for Humanity. Most of us have shopped at the restores. I certainly have. Uh, I've also done renovations where the clients were taking out a perfectly good kitchen, and that good kitchen went to Habitat for Humanity for resale. And the work they do is simply phenomenal. I have been so impressed on the two builds I participated in. The first one was a team building exercise uh, with my staff at Kimberly Sound Design Group. And I thought we might be, you know, walking around moving equipment from here to there. But I'm telling you, no, they teach you how to use a saw, how to use a drill. And we were actually working on components of the home. And it was fascinating and very meaningful to me as well. In honor of Canada's 150th birthday, and by the way, Canada, you look so darn good. I'd never know you were 150 years old. Habitat for Humanity is building 150 homes, and they're doing that in partnership with former President Jimmy Carter and his beautiful wife, Rosalind. On July 9th, I will be in Edmonton, Canada for opening ceremonies, and I will be building a house uh, the following week and hope to get an opportunity to meet President Jimmy Carter. That would be great. There are rumors, by the way, that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be there as well. If you'd like to volunteer immediately for the Canada 150 build, then go to businessofdesign.com and click on the link to sign up today. Okay, so let's say you've piqued my interest. Uh, I have a small design firm. Uh, I want to grow my brand. I like the idea. Listen, it's a vanity thing. I want my name on the sofa. I want my name on the chair. Um, are there some things I need to know about on the other side of the scale? Am I taking a risk? Uh, what do I need to know? What I would say is every, every designer or decorator knows who the best clients are in their roster of clients. Once you've worked with them a little bit, you get a sense of where they stand. We have some clients that we know feel more comfortable in retail. They just like walking into a retail space. They like the ability to sit and be part of that process. So we know for them, they're nervous if they if they have anything custom. It's not that we don't go through sitting in it, the fills, all that. That's one of the things that we offer is we make sure that clients are able to try everything out. And we support the designer in that. They can send us their customer and we'll help them do that. They don't. The designer doesn't necessarily have to be here. So for some clients, you're going to just send them to retail because it's easier to control them or it better suits them. The risk is if you do make a piece and it's exactly what you wanted and your client says yes to it, but it turns out that it wasn't what they wanted, you have to decide how that is going to get resolved because now you're assuming the responsibility of that piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. So like purchasing on behalf of someone, sometimes you just end up with things you don't want. I can't say we have that happen too often because, again, we're a smaller market relative to the United States, so we have a little bit more time to work with the client, but that would be the risk is you do have to work harder to make sure the client signs off on it. Well, at the end of the day, every single thing that you procure for a client is your responsibility. And you do want to be careful uh, with everything, but certainly a sofa is something I can't very well put in my home, you know, just sitting That's in the correct. corner waiting to sell it at a later date. <laughs> so I want to That's get that right. right. Yeah. So that's why working with certain manufacturers is really important because they have to understand how difficult our business is in satisfying the client. Mm 
So our, our concept here with Jay Studio is to create that kind of environment to support the designer or design professional so that because we understand the issues around the client. How do we make sure that client understands what they're purchasing, what the sign-off is? How do we make sure that the designer gets the information that they need? Because most designers are not well-educated about fabric, wear of fabric, flammability of fabric. So uh, fills, how are fills worked, green versus non-green. So our job is to go through that with the customer so they really understand it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, by the way, if you're listening and you think, oh, I don't know that stuff. It's okay that you don't know that stuff, but you want to make sure then you're placing your orders with companies that can educate you and that will have your back. So ultimately exactly the client's right. satisfied. Yeah. That's exactly right. So we're here to have their back only because we've been down this road ourselves (laughs) enough times that we know what happens. And like like I said, I mean, we, we started this because as designers, we felt that when we went to retail, retailers really weren't interested in helping us that much. And we thought it was unfair to our customers that they paid basically full retail, even though they brought a designer with them. And although they may get a small markdown, they didn't get a significant markdown or service to justify what they were paying and we didn't have the opportunity to really pick what we wanted and that is more and more true given the fact that most manufacturers today that sell into retailer retailers really provide less fabric choices because it's easier for them and nor are the salespeople educated enough to explain in a lot of cases what each fabric will do from where in the long run. Mm-hmm. And that's, honestly, I have to rely on the people around me to tell me that information because I just can't keep up. I, you know, no, there's new stuff introduced every week, every month, and I just can't keep up. So um, making someone like you part of my A-team to me makes a lot of sense. So um, is this something that I could do if I have a very a tiny little firm if I'm just me by myself? Or do you see this as being something for firms that have two, three, four employees? Uh, this actually is really designed for the people who do are by themselves because we will do the, the order form for you. We will price it for you. We will do anything you tell us to do. So we're more like your outside service, but who has an inside knowledge of how the design business works. So we are here to support those independent people. We will work out sizing for you. So a lot of people don't understand how sofa sizes are arrived at, and there is actually a a formula. It's loose, but it does exist. So we are really here for the people who have no experience and or no time to really do this for their clients. We're here to step in for them and give that information to them, and we can either present it to the client on their behalf or they can do it. Okay, so you mentioned that it's difficult to size an actual sofa. What are the mistakes that designers make in terms of sizing their soft goods? They want to make it four inches larger, but the problem is that four inches doesn't necessarily translate across a sofa size. So although you may think, oh, I need a little, I needed to fill up the room a little bit more, I would ask you, do you really need to fill it up a little bit more? Is four inches really going to make a difference? Because in the end, you're forcing the client to spend a significant amount of money for four inches that may or may not show up. So that's Uh, number one. Okay, so we get a little bit too hung up on a a couple of inches here and there. Yes, who doesn't really? Okay, right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Number two is thinking, okay, I want to add one more seat to a sofa, which is fine. It's just that seats come in certain sizes. So you can't decide, I want to add one more seat, but I'm only going to make the sofa 12 inches longer. Humans, the last time I checked, were roughly 24 inches wide, (laughs) or generally that's what they're estimated to be at. So 12 inches isn't quite enough. Right, So Yeah. You can't quite squish someone in there. But my family's super thin. It'll be fine. Of course they are. (laughs) Yes, because they're children. Right. Um, Yeah, so it's thinking, so that's kind of what happens in the custom side. Where it becomes a more difficult um, process is when you're doing a sectional. And, of course, sectional are parts that get put together. So we try to encourage people to think of, sofas and love seats and chairs and think of those sizes when you're trying to create an L-shaped so sectional so you don't end up because all the pillows eventually have to be the same size mm-hmm. so it's very cumbersome if on one side you end up with three a three-seater sofa but on the other side it's really not a chair and it's not really a love seat because then the pillows on the back don't match the pillows on the L side Right. Okay. So So we work that out. Okay, good. So you're going to kind of guide anybody through that process. 
yes, we will build it and show you the plan and say, this is how it actually is going to look. Is this okay? Because it's hard to know. I, we've done it for many, many, many years. And it's only in the last really six years that we kind of figured out, okay, on average, if you're going to add another seat, you need 24 inches always to do that. But then you have an arm. How big is the arm? Right. Do I want it a seat and a half or am I just having a regular standard pillow? So there's lots of little things that go into it, but we can at least draw it and show you this is what it's going to look like. Okay. So can I tell you, we took a chance on something. Uh, we had a client who was doing a basement precisely as uh, you said, and they didn't want to mm -hmm. spend a lot of money. And we thought, you know, this is a great client. We're not going to just walk away from them and abandon mm -hmm. them. So we tried a different manufacturer and they had, they sold the sectional and modules. And so we did our yeah. very best to follow their process and pick the modules, et cetera. And the sectionals delivered to the client's house at the, uh, installation for us, that's step 10. And on the very front of the sofa is a bracket, mm -hmm. the kind of bracket wow. that should be on the side of the sofa, attaching it to the other piece, but it's yeah. on the very front of the sofa. And then the right arm is about six inches shorter than the left arm. And yeah. I called the manufacturer and said, you know, it's our first time working with you. Uh, what the heck? And they said, that's what you ordered. Um, mm -hmm. And the senior designer who worked for me was horrified. Or their, their site was super complicated to figure mm -hmm. out what to order. She ran it by a person who was supposed to be her salesperson and assisting her. Um, mm -hmm. And so we could cop to, yeah, okay, that's our fault. Because even if your site is complicated, it was our responsibility to order it. But after you made it and you yeah. saw it... Why would <laughs> you wrap it? You? <laughs> yeah, why yeah. would you wrap it and let us pick it up and deliver it to our client and yes. discover this on site? So it ended up being about a $3,000 mistake. Uh, also, I could save my client money and I thought I'm never going to, I'm never going to try to do that again. I'm just never, ever going to try to, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. It's absolutely true. So that's a good example where although the manufacturer may have been a good manufacturer, they didn't really understand what they were selling you. And instead of saying, oh, my God, like you said, before it was wrapped, what are we selling? This is where small manufacturers that cater or big manufacturers that cater to the design industry understand how expensive it is to have something wrapped and shipped for it not to be right. 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 This is fascinating to me. So if you're local, we're going to tell you how to get in touch with Jay Studio and work directly with Jane and her team, and I can vouch for them. They're, they're awesome, although I haven't done this private label route yet. I didn't even know you did that, so that's incredible. Uh, but I do want to talk to those people who are listening and are not nearby you. Um, what kind of marketing should they be thinking about getting on their labels? And particularly, how does this translate into dollars in their pocket? Because it's a business at the end of the day? Basically, branding is important for designers because it enhances their visibility in the marketplace, makes them seem bigger than they are, or higher profile. And the higher your profile is, the more you can charge or the more you can justify what you charge. And that's really important if you're an independent designer on your own, regardless of whether you're in Canada, United States, Australia, it doesn't matter. The whole point is understanding that you can be a sole proprietor, but you need to be a sole proprietor with some serious cred. And the way you get that cred is by making sure that you have your claws into lots of things. So if you're in a local market, in J Studio, we're in the greater Toronto area. We're pretty reachable by email, um, this thing called the World Wide Web. So we're pretty easy <laughs> that way. In other parts of the world, I would suggest you start to go and speak to local manufacturers. For us, we actually started with a reupholsterer who turned out to be great. We have him as part of our services still here today. He's great because there are certain projects that just no one can build except for him because he's one guy and given the right information, he can build any frame and cover it in anything we want. So this is a really good fit for, especially in commercial, if you end up with a commercial job that you want to try something different, he's the kind of resource you want to get. And just about everyone will have an older upholsterer somewhere in the marketplace. Then you can also go to any furniture manufacturer. Now, part of our mandate here at J Studio is to support all 
Canadian made product. Now that I'm sure the truth would be the same in the United States. So for us, North American made really matters. So all our wood is North American, all our, our fabric, um, we try to source from North American mills as much as possible. So we try as much as we can to source locally. And I think most clients really appreciate that. I certainly can say that our clients have said to us, we love that it's it comes from North America. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important feature today. If you're looking, try local manufacturers and ask them if they'll make you something. Larger manufacturers tend not to want to do it. But if you're prepared to say, I think I can probably sell two, three sofas a year, maybe they'll give you a chance if they're a little bit smaller. If they're bigger and you're bigger, you might be able to say, look, I'm pretty sure I can sell, you know, six sofas a year. Or I know I have a model home or something like that coming up, which would be, a good leverage for you to say, maybe you can give this to me at a better price and negotiate something because now you're kind of acting a bit like a retailer and that you're buying more than just one item, one of one at a time. Mm-hmm. Can I put these items on my website? Like in other words, once yes. I've got a sofa that's mine and it's the Kimberly or whatever, I can also add that to my website. Absolutely. And we encourage people to do that because it's important that you reach your audience. And again, profiles today, and this is what's so wonderful about the era that we live in now versus when you and I started out, is you can build your brand much faster online than you ever could before. It was much more cumbersome and expensive. The democracy of interior design as a category has increased exponentially with the increase of web. Mm -hmm. On a practical level, what should be on my label? On your label, you you want to try to tie your label design to your business card and or the face of your website. All of them should look the same. So if you have a signature shape, color, or name, you want to make sure that that is also put onto your label. The label can either be sewn into a piece of furniture or it can be glued on. There's different methods and, and costs basically associated to making those labels. But it's not really expensive to get them made and keep a stack of them and you just simply give them to us or to whoever your manufacturer of choices to put on the bench seat for you. I think now you're going to find me with my labels all printed up going through my favorite retail stores and taking off their tags and putting on mine. Would that be wrong? I absolutely think you should do that. (laughs) It's unfair that that's what's happening. And it's great for retailers that they're making their own brands. We love that. And we think that that supports the retail market. But as a designer, in some level, you're your own retailer and you're a brand too. Yeah. And I know I asked about risk, but one of the risks for sure is that now that my name's on it, it better perform. It better be the kind of furniture that's going to make the client happy long term or the anger that they feel about that is going to be directed at me because my name's on it. That's right. So some clients you just don't want to have that relationship with, and everyone knows who that client is. You'll always come across one in your design life. But for other clients, that's why you really do want to find a manufacturer that you can be proud of their product and represents what it is that you're trying to sell. And that may be low-end pricing. It just depends on what your structure is in the marketplace and who it is that you're trying to target as a customer. Okay. I want to get back to pricing and making money specifically. How can I use private label furniture to make money for my business? This all depends on what your business model is. And every designer, unfortunately or fortunately, has a different model. We tend to work more towards the um, just billable hours. So we give away our discounts at retail. We don't keep them. For some- okay, seriously, you and I are going to talk. Yeah. yeah, it's all right. We're all right know, we've had that. this conversation before. <laughs> we did. I oh, know. my uh, gosh. We work because we, we bill it on the other end for our time. So I will leave it at that relative to my own business. But oh, for other people in You the can business, expect can a take... lecture coming on. No problem. I'll I'm be very happy to hear it. Okay. Um, <laughs> on, on the other side, on private label, because you are assuming the risk, you can choose to sell that piece of furniture, whatever it turns out to be, to your client at whatever price you want. So 
that's why retailers want to basically private label as well, because it's harder to shop the product. And you want to also be in that business if you do a lot of volume in furniture. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does, but if that's one avenue that you feel is important in your business, then you want to think about getting both a discount on the back end because you're selling quite a bit more. You might want to pass some of that to your client, but then you can decide what your markup is. But you do assume that risk. Yeah. I think anytime there's a liability or responsibility, you should be able to make money off it, which is why we also will make money on all the product we sell. And when there's a problem, of course, then the responsibility to get it corrected falls on us. And more and more, by the way, there are problems with things that are manufactured. So anything I can manufacture locally, wherever that is, wherever you live, uh, makes a lot of sense because you're going to have more direct access to the person who's doing the manufacturing. So that I, I like very, very much. Um, and um, selling product without putting any money on it, um, in my mind, is not a great business model just, you know, for the sheer profit that you're losing. Our business model, we probably make as much on goods as we do Mm -hmm. on hours, and we bill a lot Mm -hmm. on hours. Um, Mm -hmm. But I see that as, you know, that's the payment for the risk and responsibility we take on. And the 25 years in the trenches, finding the best suppliers, you know, knowing where to shop makes makes, uh, what we do valuable as well. So you're right. There's so many different ways people run their business. And one of the things, uh, well, I love lots of things about Jane, but one of the things I love about Jane is you're the real deal. You're actually an interior designer. You have real clients. Um, so you understand the pressures that are involved. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the business in general. What do you think um, is it about the business that has changed so much in the last 20 years? Kimberly, you are the real deal. I love that you (laughs) want to help designers. And every single designer or design professional can use some tweaking along the way. It's just it's kind of like therapy. I kind of feel that way about it. It's really good to hear. So thank you. Um, the business has changed significantly along the way, like a lot. And when I graduated from school, which is not far off of when you graduated, everything was still done by hand and Mm -hmm. it was very hard to reach an audience. And it was really done by word of mouth today. That word of mouth is really online through things like Facebook. So the way people reach has exploded. And although you may not be able to work in all those areas, you can certainly influence all those areas. And I think what's really come to pass is designers are influencers, but they are very seldom recognized as that, nor are they compensated for that. Mm -hmm. So I fully appreciate what you're saying about being 25 years in the trenches. That absolutely is worth something. And in other industries, that is rewarded. But for some reason, it's not in this industry. Well, it can be. We just have to set the parameters because uh, we're going to be treated the way that we're tol- we tolerate being treated. Um, You're right. Absolutely. And it, it's hard because the majority of us are people pleasers. We want to make our clients happy. But at the end of the day, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's a business. It's a business. It's a business. Um, and, and I've learned that if I run a very strict business, I actually can make my clients happy and make money and get repeat and referral clients, which is the goal for me. If I don't get a repeat or a referral client out of a job, for me, that's a real missed opportunity and a real fail. So that's my benchmark for success. That's that's absolutely right. So our motto here at J Studio is to really support the design community and help them have those kind of relationships so that they can bill for their time adequately and be recognized for the kind of work that they do, that it's not just quote unquote shopping all day and having fun, that it is a real business and that it does benefit people in the long run. Jane, I know you mentor other designers and you are an advocate for the industry for sure. Why do you think it's important if you're speaking to the listeners now, why do you think it's important that every single one of them takes the hand of someone who's further down the path than them and gives them a lesson and gives them a hand. Why do you think that matters? I think mentoring is something that doesn't really happen a lot in the design industry. And it's said in in women's industries, which one could argue on some level maybe is what this industry is. I'm not commenting one way or the other, but it has been commented to me. That said, regardless of what you do or where you stand in the business, there should be a helping hand you know, that helps someone stand up more. We do speak quite a bit to young designers or designers who are already in practice 
um, because I think it's a really tough business to understand from a school standpoint. Although I got lots of great technical information at school, it, it really behooves the business industry to help those young designers understand how they can make it a business, which is very seldom taught in school. There's elements of it taught, but the whole picture is not taught to them. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is probably one of the most important things in a field like ours, where it combines both creativity and business savvy to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think um, as we educate um, other designers, we're helping ourselves ultimately because if the public begins to expect that designers make money, uh, that it's um, a for-profit business, not a not-for-profit business, uh, and that it's much more complicated and complex than just going shopping and having fun all day. The more the consumer understands that, the better it is for all of us. So lots of advantages to uh, reaching out and helping the other designer on the path who's next to you. So I, I love that about you, Jane. That's great. And I need to make an appointment and come into SOFA and learn more about what you <laughs> offer, because clearly I did not understand it at all. Well, I need to come and be part of your seminar clearly and have a talk about all the other things that go on in interior design. It would be a pleasure. Yeah. Okay. So before we wrap up, I want to hit you with some rapid fire value bombs. And so you're not prepared for these. I didn't give you these in advance, but just off the top of your head, these are actionable things that anyone listening can incorporate into their business. And let me start with number one. What do you think is an essential clause for an interior designer to have in his or her contract? Something you really rely on to be in a contract? Uh, No returns once you've bought something custom. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big one. They have to understand if they sign that form, they own it. Just that's the same anywhere. But for some reason, it's okay to go back to a designer and say, yeah, I don't like it. I want to return it. But they would never go to a retailer and say that. Right, right. That's a very, very good point. So we do have that, that there's no returns on custom. And any any returns on anything are subject to the supplier's rules, not our that's rules. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. Oh, that's a good one. No one's ever said that to me before. Okay. <laughs> I love that one. That's a great one. Okay. Number two. Do you have a technological aid that you rely on? Yes. I use uh, an iPad Pro with the pencil, and I use something called PD, um, PDF Expert. It's a terrific uh, app that allows me to mark up drawings. So where we used to go back and forth with paper between each other, we no longer do that anymore. So you have your drawing on your iPad Pro. And because of this app, the PDF expert, you're able to take a stylus or something and make, draw, oh, right in front of the client. Yes. So I can take the CAD drawings and I can work on it right in front. Now, not CAD. I'm working on it um, on addition to the layered CAD. So we do all our CAD drawings and then I can take these, whatever changes I need to make, I can take my pro and mark it up right in front of them and then send it back to our office and they can start working on it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm, I got to go and I got to go get that right now. Bye. (laughs) That's a really good one. It really is. It's great. Number three, what's the best lesson you ever learned from a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad client? Oh my God. Good question. And I (laughs) had a very difficult client last year. Um, that number one, Some people are very hard to please, if ever, and it's not your fault. It's somewhere else in the universe, but you're taking the blame for it. That would be number one. And number two is thoroughness pays, and it it pays to spend the time on things. We normally do, but sometimes you let your guard down a little bit for whatever reason, and it's important to stay on it. Wow. Yeah. It's comforting to know too, if you're listening and you, you're experiencing that client right now, that A, they don't come along very often. They really don't. Uh, once I got systems to run my business, I had very few terrible clients. Uh, but B, they do come along from time to time. And sometimes, you know, despite your best efforts, you just can't make them happy. And that's, a, that's unfortunate, but it's a reality. Yes. And they do slip through. That's what happens is they, 
they get through the system and you don't think they should, but they do because they say all the right things until it comes down to brass tacks. And then you realize you're like, no, you shouldn't have made it through. (laughs) Okay. Let's ask the other side of the coin, which is what is a lesson you've learned from a very good client, someone you really enjoyed working with, uh, something invaluable they taught you? Take it to the limit. Give them every option. Sometimes in our business, this may not be consistent in all's, all businesses, we, we stay within the scope of what the client offers. And, and I don't mean big things like, you know, obviously we're going to try to stay within budget or whatever, but you have to be realistic with a good client and tell them, you know, I know you want to do this, but really your budget needs to be this. So do you want to go there? And sometimes we're scared to ask that question because they've said, no, I only have this much. But the reality is maybe they really do want that and you're prejudging how much they really want to spend or can afford to spend. And it's it's a dangerous place to be. It's up to them to say no, but our job is to give them the options. 100% couldn't agree more. I see designers sometimes just killing themselves to find the cheapest this or the cheapest that. I think really, you really think the client wants the cheapest everything possible in order mm-hmm. to meet the budget? Um, instead, you know, there are clues about their lifestyle, how they're living, other purchases they've made in the past. I think it's my job to show them what's reasonable and appropriate and then uh, educate them about what the budget needs to be and break it into phases if you have to. And sometimes clients really don't know the price of things. So they're assuming that something only costs this because that was their last time they had any interaction with it. So they really don't know what it costs. So when they make their budget, they're basing it on well, I don't know what they're basing it on, but it's not realistic. And that is part of our job is to help them do that. The other thing is it's not our job to judge how much money they have um, or presume they have. I don't know if I would be insulted. And I have had clients who are insulted when we do offer the quote unquote cheapest thing to them because they take it to be that, well, why would we assume they couldn't afford the best? They may not want the best, but it's up to them to tell us that they don't want that. Right. And the reality is in in all the years I've been in business, I don't think I've ever had a single time where the client gave me the budget that they hoped to spend and then the wish list and those two things uh, went hand in hand perfectly. Usually the wish, wish list is a lot more expensive than the amount of money that they've outlined at the beginning. So allowing the client to make the decision ultimately, do you want to buy everything or break it in phases or should we compromise on quality? I think it makes sense to put that decision in the client's court. That's absolutely it. I Once my mom told me, she said, you know, Jane, I noticed that cat food is on sale at Walmart. And I thought, oh, it is? Okay, I'll go to Walmart and I'll buy my three cans of cat food. So when I got there, I got my three cans of cat food. Unfortunately, I went on a Friday evening, and it's very busy at Walmart on a Friday evening. And I got my three cans after having to search the entire store to find the cat food aisle to then have to stand in line behind, oh, I don't know, 20 people who were buying their groceries for the weekend because they were going away to the cottage (laughs) And by the time I finally got to the front cash, I had managed to save myself 60 cents. However, it cost me an hour extra time, and I had to stand around and be hit and punched and moved and basically, you know, shuffled about just to save myself the money. In the end, I went back to my local pet store and paid the extra 20 cents a can just to buy my cat food. Right. And can I tell you something? I can guarantee you right now, you never have to go back to Walmart again if you start charging a reasonable markup on furniture. (laughs) (laughs) You're too smart for me. That's why you are in charge. (laughs) You are adorable. You are so wonderful. Thank you. Will you come back again? We've got lots more to talk about. Absolutely. I would love it. You are so inspirational. Thank you so much. All right. And that information will also be available at businessofdesign.com. Jane, have a wonderful day. Thanks so much. Thank you.